and welcome to The House of the Dragon Season 1 Roundtable, presented by Comics in Motion. And first up, we have, as part of our roundtable, we have the creator of Femon Film, and also a pop gorilla, Rhea. Welcome to the show, Rhea. Hello, thank you for having me. I am incredibly excited about this chat. I feel a little bit like I bullied you into having a roundtable. Well, it is the best kind of bullying because I didn't even realise it was bullying. So it's more like Inception, I think. But uh, also Scott had reached out to me uh, independently and said, are you guys doing anything with this season? I said, so busy and everything. But uh, so I've kind of alluded to it there. So I'll come to you next, Scott. So who I know from the Anfield Index, welcome to the show, Scott. Good to be here. Yeah, Dave and I haven't had a, a chat about nerd culture for quite a while, so it's uh, nice to get the band back together. Awesome. We usually have a good WhatsApp around all the latest trailers that uh, have come out and what have you. And last but certainly not least, another debutante. So introduced by Rhea, it's Jess. Welcome, Jess. Hello. Yes, I am very much dipping my toe into the podcast world. In fact, Rhea just keeps dragging me in to different podcast projects, but I'm Thoroughly, thoroughly happy to be here. That's how it all starts. It is the uh, ever-expanding cult. (laughs) I did say cult. Um, So so I'm going to stick with you then, Jess. So in terms of House of the Dragon, or the Hot D, as uh, Rhea introduced me to referencing it, which I just love. So what is your background in terms of Game of Thrones and the latest House of the Dragon series and books? Well, I've never watched Game of Thrones. I think I watched the first couple of episodes when it first came out, and I just I think I just lost interest, and, and I never picked it up again. So, um, least likely to give a spoiler, because <laughs> I don't know what happens. <laughs> um, and so when, when House of the Dragon um, came out, my partner was like, oh, please, please, can we watch this together? Because... We didn't really have. <laughs> He's a big Game of the Game of Thrones fan, um, and he was, and we needed like a TV program to watch together. So he was like, "Please, can we watch?" And I was like, "Oh, fine." <laughs> but I loved this. I loved this series. It takes a lot for me to get pulled into a series. It takes a lot for me to not want to go on my phone or do the dishes or do, you know, do something while I'm watching TV. It it takes a lot for me to be completely focused on the program. And it also takes a lot for me to commit to something that comes out once a week. Um, But I was completely, completely gripped with this. So, so yeah, so now I'm thinking about watching Game of Thrones. Oh, nice. And curiously, so... What is it about the series that you like that didn't resonate with you so much as with Game of Thrones? Um, well, I think, to be fair, I think I was much younger when I tried to watch Game of Thrones. Um, and so, I mean, I can't even remember when. When did Game of Thrones first come out? Because that'll give me an idea. I think I was quite young. Oh, was it about 2010, 2011-ish? 2011. Was it 2011? Thank you. Um, and I, I just think I, 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 I didn't have any appreciation then for, um, complex characters or, um, the kind of slow burn narrative that pull, pulls you in is, is, is all I can think about, but it's that kind of, um, you care about 
the characters or you care about what happens to them even you know doesn't necessarily mean they're all likable um but it's that kind of slow burn suspenseful strategic element that i was really pulled in by um and when i when i was younger and game of thrones came out i had absolutely no appreciation for that um i've really only grown an appreciation for that over the last 5 years i'd say so um i think that's what did it for me that's cool so i i definitely think you would like game of thrones then just maybe uh if if you can embark on that one as well but that that'd be good i'd be i'd love to know like what you do think of it if you do revisit it yes i think i absolutely will cool so next up i'll come back around the table so scott how about yourself what's your background into this whole world yeah so a little bit different than jess i got hooked into game of thrones pretty quickly once i decided to actually get down to watching it i never read the book i didn't start the show when the first couple seasons came out so right before season three debuted in 2013 i figured ah i've heard so much about this i like lord of the rings i generally like fantasy and stuff like that so i'll give it a shot and uh yeah it was kind of like uh giving another drink to an alcoholic i mean i just took to it right away i mean just started binging it incredibly quickly finished the first two seasons really fast but didn't want to read the books because I didn't want to spoil anything that was coming. It was so good. So I, I did start reading the books, but stayed behind. So, you know, season three was coming. That's largely book three of Song of Ice and Fire. So I read books one and two and then just stayed behind the show. So loved all the twists and the turns. And then, you know, some people love Game of Thrones, just like watching it once a week. That's it. Don't think any more about that. My wife is very much like that. She liked the show, but didn't really care about the history or the world beyond you know, it was on the show, whereas I kind of just devoured the history books. So when those started coming out and I started reading some of the other novellas that went back in time, figured, ah, I had no idea there was going to be another series like this that would go back in time. So it's been a different ride this time around, whereas with Game of Thrones, everything was new, everything was fresh, no spoilers. I had no idea. Red Wedding, things like that was a complete surprise. Whereas some of the beats with House of the Dragon kind of knew they were coming, but Seeing some of the differences has still been pretty rewarding. So I still loved it, was happy to jump back in, and, and definitely glad to be back in the Westeros. It's going to be a long wait for season two. It's weird, isn't it, to be glad to be back in Westeros, because I'm pretty sure no one in Westeros is, is that glad to be there. But um, Rhea, how about yourself? Yeah, Westeros is literally the worst place to live, right? I'm like, I would not, I would not want to be there. Um, Certainly to give birth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and out of everybody here, I'm the only one who has given birth, so I've got a lot to say about those scenes. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, so when the show was coming out, I'm a big fan of event TV. I love weekly watching event TV. My husband and I used to do it all the time. We do it less, so now we've got less time. So when Game of Thrones was coming out, I was like all in. I was like, I'm clearly going to watch the show. It's based based around sort of like medieval history plantagenet all of that sort of stuff so fully my bag like all those stories i am 100 percent in for it because everybody in it is insane and making incredibly interesting choices much like they do in game of thrones um so before the first season of game of thrones came out i read the first book i do not like george rr R. martin's <laughs> writing or i don't like the books I- 
I think the first book is fine. I started reading the second book and I was like, I'm not in for this. Plus, it takes a lot of time. He's not even finished it. The TV show's going on. I'm just going to enjoy the TV show. Especially because often I like to try and separate and just enjoy a TV show for what it is without, without some of the other stuff around it or behind it. Um, like most people absolutely loved Game of Thrones. The other half could not give a shit, so I had to keep on watching it by myself. Um, before the final season came out, my daughter was really little. Oh, maybe it was like the, the penultimate season came out. And she got really sick and she couldn't sleep for like a week. Obviously terrible, but it meant I got to binge watch all of Game of Thrones because she was so little, she's not watching TV, she doesn't know what it's in, and she'd only sleep lying on me. So I would like literally be watching like 10, 12 hours of Game of Thrones a day. It was great because all I could do was sit on the sofa and watch TV and then feed her. So wonderful. So I caught all up. Obviously, final season came out. The final season is what it is. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to rip it apart. I can't make film or TV, so fine, whatever. It's not my favourite thing that's ever happened. So when Hot D was coming out, I was very excited, but also a bit concerned about what might be happening, especially some of the wider issues I have with the Game of Thrones TV show, i.e. how women are treated and represented, use of rape, all that sort of stuff, plot devices. Um, and I'm happy to say that all of those things, I feel, have been noted by the makers of this and changed. And I currently, and this is a hot take, think Hot D better than Game of Thrones. I haven't watched Game of Thrones. Nice, nice. So it's funny you say about uh, immersing yourself in in the world. I remember, so I've been through the series about three times, been through the books probably about the same. And I remember there was a a specific time I I took the kids to uh, Warwick Castle and I was in the middle of a binge. And you're walking around, and there was so much, you know, about the that's taken from the game, uh, game, the War of the Roses, and you've got like the Kingmaker there and stuff. And I, I was literally reading some of this history in Warwick Castle and getting a little bit confused. I'm like, well, where's where are the Baratheons in all of this, you know? So genuinely, my brain was playing tricks on me. But yeah, I, I've loved it. You can see I'm definitely House Stark. Uh, if you come into my house, there's a um, Winter is Coming house mat that, that meets you. I just absolutely love the world. Now, it's funny, I don't know if anyone's seen the documentary about that final season of Game of Thrones, but if you watch it, it's so obvious that everyone is so done with the series <laughs> when they, they signed cash. up for it they didn't know they were signing up for this decade long thing that was just going to become this cultural phenomenon that's not to excuse the show but again it really came across that everyone just really wanted to finish it so i think that at least to me explained the change in pace because it was almost like you went from first gear to fifth gear just to get it over and done with and I actually think George R. R. Martin kind of threw the show under the bus a little bit you know it was his responsibility to finish that story so to complain about it and how it ended it's like well that you were asleep at the wheel mate so I, I do actually like his writing I just wish he'd finished the fucking books <laughs> so, <laughs> it's never gonna happen you know it's, it's easy to happen. say you don't like that give us what how how you saw it ending but I mean, I don't know if anyone's read that fifth book in particular, where you think the world should be 
converging, you know, and coming to some sort of conclusion, <laughs> it just gets bigger. So I, I think he's kind of wrote himself into a corner. Sorry, Scott, I think I talked over you a little bit there. No, no, I was just jumping it. I mean, he's just, I just don't know if he's ever going to finish it. But yeah, I mean, with the respect, I think the transition from how Game of Thrones ended to what people felt about like going into House of the Dragon. I mean, I think season six of Game of Thrones is the best one, or at least has some of the best episodes. I mean, even if you say, ah, oh, maybe the early seasons are better. And largely season six is not in the books. So they were good. The writers of Game of Thrones were good enough to do quality television. But why did season seven and season eight turn out the way they did? It just felt like they were, like you said, Dave, everybody was done. It was going almost a decade of production. They, I think people just started to get tired. The creators wanted the show wanted to be done. A lot of the actors were probably tired. Some of those scenes, like the battle scenes are grueling. They filmed through the night. I mean, the physical toll it was taking on them. So I, I think they just... I mean, HBO didn't want them to be done. They were happy if they went more seasons, but everybody who was involved in the show kind of wanted to be done, and they rushed it, and the quality suffered. So I think that's why people were some... A lot of people that I know, like the show, or the Westeros, were concerned about House of the Dragon. Like, is this, you know, what's this going to be like? But once it was clear that George was involved and that they weren't going to rush things, and that, you know, this wasn't going to be a 6-7 series show, it was probably going to be 4-5, to five, maybe somewhere around there. I think people bought in, and I think even from the first episode, you know, there was enough of the, the old hooks, the old themes that brought people in. There's like, all right, it's good to be back. The baggage had kind of gone away, and this show would lar- rise, largely rise and fall of its own accord. I have to say, there was a moment in episode one where I was like, holy fucking shit, we're back in Westeros. But uh, before, I'm sure we might touch <laughs> on that in a little bit. So, Rhea, I'm going to come to you because you said you think the hot D is better than Game of Thrones. So what are some of the things that, that sort of speak to you? I do. I, well, I think, I think it's better than Game of Thrones. I'm enjoying it a lot more. It, towards the end, I agree, season six, I think is fantastic with Game of Thrones. Uh, it was amazing watching it all again and then getting to see it at its pinnacle. But I think it dragged on and I feel like it just... I mean, I'm just about to repeat everything you both said. You know, it felt too long. And I feel like this show's trying to do something very specific and it knows what that is. And I know that we'll probably talk about the time jumps, but I just, I just like it. I think they've taken the best of Game of Thrones and invested into this. I think they've learned a lot from Game of Thrones. And you can say what you want about the ending of it, but that it was epic TV. And there are shows that come along and they change how people view and immerse themselves in TV. And Game of Thrones is one of those shows. So you can be annoyed about the end, and that's totally fine, but you cannot take away culturally what it, what it has meant. And I think Hot D takes all of those best things and has put it into one season. And I think, you know, we get... There's so many things that I see, I'm like, oh, that's like from sort of my favourite sort of storytelling in Game of Thrones. And they've done it in 10 seasons instead of... In 10 episodes instead of 10 seasons. And I think the cast is just amazing, absolutely amazing in the show. I, I, I think there are some highlights in the Game of Thrones cast, but the world was so busy, it's big, it was impossible to get so many great actors being great in every single role. Whereas I think in, in House of the Dragon, absolutely nailed it. I think the cast is absolutely amazing. And I've just found it more enjoyable. I found the intrigue a lot more enjoyable because it's not surrounded by scenes of just 
unrelenting gore for no apparent reason, of naked women for no apparent reason, of women being raped and abused for no apparent reason. You know, and I feel like the creators have really gone, actually, this is not what we want to do. We want to tell the story, but we don't want to have all of this stuff that we think makes TV interesting for people. And that's why it's really working for me. Awesome. Now, Jess, what what are some of your overall thoughts on the the whole season? Well, I think, um, I mean, what what Ria was saying about the overall, like the the gore and the you know the naked the nakedness in Game of Thrones. I am very much a person who um, I get very stressed very quickly when um, there's lots of. Uh, lots of gory detail you know lots of people in pain in imaginative ways and you see every bit of the pain and it it stresses me out and so the first episode was a was amazing but a bit ropey I must say and I'll go into detail a bit later about exactly why but um so that was a bit that was a bit like it, I, I felt a bit startled but I, but but it was such a good episode that I was like I, I I'm I'm just gonna kind of it doesn't matter if if I if this is what happens in a you know similar level of shock and you know happens in every episode. I I I I I I love the narrative so much and I am in, I'm so intrigued by the characters and 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 how this world is unfolding. Because remember, I didn't watch Game of Thrones, so this whole world is new to me. And so I think I'm like you all were when you first started watching Game of Thrones. It's that kind of Look at this world like this this is this is fascinating um and and i think and I, it, it was so much so that i was like well if this happens every episode i'm just gonna i'm just gonna push through <laughs> um <but> thankfully <laughs> it didn't um and and yeah the the time the time jumps i mean over overall i think um the, the casting was amazing and i'm usually I'm usually not one to, you know, really think too much into how good of an actor played a per- you know, played a character. It's actually one of the reasons me and Ria tend to chat about films, and that it's quite funny because Ria like loves to dive in so much into like the actors and the themes, and and I'm and I just most of most of my life I've just watched it for entertainment purposes, but in this for this. Um, program I just felt myself automatically being like that's that's such good acting like that's incredible acting I am I am heartbroken I am disgusted I am so angry and that's because of the acting and so yeah I mean I've never had a program that will let me put aside all my tendencies to squirm away just so I can carry on watching you know, brilliant acting and brilliant world building, I think. You know, I recommended Game of Thrones before. <laughs> I, think, I think if you don't like to see pain and suffering, maybe let's put a pin in that and we'll make a judgment call at the end of it. I know. So, some, um, yeah, they keep, my partner keeps talking about the Red Wedding and he keeps, he doesn't think I'm going to ever watch Game of Thrones, but I think I'll try again. And he keeps being like, Oh, this is you know very the very like the red wedding. Should I should I just tell should I just tell you? And I'm like, no, please don't. I'm not. I'm not in the 
his face. Yeah. Oh, my um, my ex uh, mother in law spoiled not the red wedding, but the there's a purple wedding that comes after. So just before the season came out, I had no idea, uh, and she spoiled it for me. So thank you very much. <laughs> so tell him, keep him at bay. Don't yeah. let him spoil it for you. <laughs> but Scott, how about yourself? What are your overall thoughts on this first season? So like I said before, it was going to be a different experience for me because the characters wouldn't necessarily be new. It's just them coming to life off the page would be something that's new. So whereas you know, watching Game of Thrones, I had to learn the world. I had to learn the history and these characters and they were fresh. So it was the first time I was seeing it. So anytime you have an adaptation, you know, you're familiar with the book and then it's brought to the screen, you know, your thoughts are always going to be like, how does this, you know, hue to the book and things like that. The nice thing is, is that the books are just history books they're not novels so there's a lot of gaps for them to fill in because it's you know it's like a it's a fake history quote unquote told by unreliable narrators so there's a lot for them to fill in so i think one of the the most rewarding parts for me was yes seeing these things brought to life seeing all the different dragons because there are so many dragons right off the top whereas you know that was a slow burn from game of thrones and everybody loves dragons you know that was the old joke about game of thrones it was tits and dragons well eventually it was just dragons because they did a lot of the first in the first season, they kind of moved away from that. They realized they had uh, a lot of female viewers, maybe less of the former, more of the latter. So, but this time around, the dragons were right up the top, so that was cool. And to see a lot of that brought to life, but see the characters, and I think like Rhea and Jess mentioned, it's just the actors that they chose and they found. I mean, the anchors of the show are basically Allison and Rhaenyra, and to find both young actresses and adult actresses to play those two characters of the time jumps, that's, that was always what was going to have to make the time jumps work. Because it's a little bit different than the books where they're not friends, you know, they're separated by age. For the show, they made them friends, which I think was a, that was a good adaptation. That was a good choice. I think it's more resonant to have two friends and you watch it over time. They're separated and that's what causes this great conflict. And so to, to have those two actresses like that, I mean, they hit that out of the park. I mean, we'll see with some of the other younger act- actors and actresses because we didn't have a lot of time with their kids. I mean, Eamon was probably the one we've had the most time with, and he seems like a pretty good villain that we're going to get to see more of, so that'll be pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, just the choices that they made there, but I would say, you know, as a book reader, just seeing some of the history gap filled in, because some of the twists, and we'll, we'll talk about that, but just the choices they made to explain, ah, this is what really happened, and then the big twist with the prophecy, which is entirely new, not in the books, never mentioned before, that caught everybody off guard. So, that's one of those things like when Game of Thrones got going, at a certain point when they got past the books, everybody was, you know, surprised. Everybody was getting that for the first time. So the prophecy was very much like that. So I think the show got clunky with some of the time jumps, but for the most part, I, I think it, it had to, to, you know, lay a lot of groundwork for what's to come. And I think they did a, a fairly decent job with most of it, and especially just kind of getting people, you know, who might have had a bad taste in their mouth or excited, whatever, but just want to say, all right, welcome back. This is what you've missed, and to kind of have some of those themes. So I, th- I think that overall, I think they did a pretty good job of what is a lot of work and is not easy to do to tie all those threads together. So let's stick on you for a second there, Scott, because you mentioned about the time jumps. Now, I didn't know. I, I've gone into this pretty much blind, and, and intentionally so. 
actually so Rhea knows Tonya from our group and and she's kind of taught me that actually going in and being surprised by this stuff is so much better you know before <laughs> I try and uh, absorb everything that I could you know watch all the trailers devour all the trailers and everything read all the articles look at the casting whereas I've tried to go into this as blind as possible so for me I feel like I'd have preferred to have a whole season just with the young cast and then maybe season two do the time jump then so I mean how, how did it f- I, I guess it just means there's a shitload more to to go through if they've accelerated that quickly, you know. So, I mean, how did that work for you, Scott, that, that whole time jump halfway through the season? Well, I think it was just they had to make hard choices adapting with the story because the story had a lot of seeds, but these seeds wouldn't really flower into something over time. I mean, it's kind of how George talks about when he writes you know, the a Song of Ice and Fire books, he's a gardener. He doesn't know where things are going to go, and they can get, you know, then things sprout over here, and then you get weeds, and things get real tangled. For the, the history books, I mean, basically what you see with the start of the season is similar. It, it You know, this section about what happens with the Dance of Dragons, you know, this Targaryen Civil War, starts where the show starts. You know, there's a choice made about who's going to be the king, and that little choice has a domino effect, and it's sort of like the butterfly effect. Well, because of that, Viserys becomes king, and then he's trying to make heirs, and then that doesn't go well, and then he gets remarried. It's one choice after another, but you have to show that over years because it's, okay, because Viserys came king, it's what happens when he's gone, who's going to take over? It's that vacuum, and that's where it kind of mirrors some of the real-life history, you know, what happens when the royals pass away, or there's not heirs, or there's multiple claimants. So I think the show is always going to have to make a difficult choice. Could they go slow and spend a lot more time and, you know, give a lot of the back history of, like, young Rhaenyra, young Alicent? Maybe we could have seen Viserys getting married to Alicent. Maybe we could have seen, the, I guess, maybe more childbirths, although it seemed like there was a lot of those already. But maybe you could, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot. And, you know, and I'm sure, like Rhea said, she'll have thoughts on some of that. And from... A male's perspective, I think it's important for us to see that, but at the same time, by the end of the season, it's like, all right, I think we got it. You have made your point. The brutality of Westeros sometimes gets laid on a little thick. But as it relates to how they can adapt this, we talked about before, Game of Thrones stretched on. And when the real world, you know, not in their world, our world of making these shows, they take years. So if they were going to go that much slower, you know, these kids are going to age up, actors are going to get tired, and it's how much focus do you have? and you know, in American television, we can let series go on for way too long. You know, you guys over in the UK, the Brits, they ha- seem like they have it right. Limited series, limited episodes, you get in, you get out, you avoid some of that stagnation. So they had to make some tough choices. And, you know, we didn't see, uh, you know, Sir Harwin Strong and Rainier really get together. We see him carry her out in the big, you know, battle in the hall where everybody starts fighting, you know, right before she gets married to Sir Laner that's really all we see and then it's oh yeah here's a time jump now they have three kids so should we have seen more should we have seen more about the stepstones which felt real rushed maybe but then where does your season end whereas the climax of the season felt right it's just i think they were kind of caught between a rock and a hard place so could it have been done better maybe but i think people might have had criticisms either way just because they had to cover almost like 30 years 20 to 30 years of time to get to the war but now the war started, and here we go. I think that's fair. Now, 
Rhea, I'm going to come to you. So we touched on childbirth in this uh, season. And like I say, by my count, we had four. And that's that episode one, that was the moment when it was just like, holy fucking shit. And then there's the choice that basically they're going to try and save the baby. And I was like, fuck. I mean, what, what, what is your perspective on all of those scenes? And also, I, I'm curious, the whole portrayal of women in this season, even I can see it's, it's very different. But, you know, not just that it's different. What, what is it about this season? Yeah, so starting on the childbirth, I love all the childbirth scenes. I get so fed up of childbirth in film and TV of a woman just going, oh, my baby's born. Oh, there's no blood. There's no passing the placenta. You don't have to tie off the cord and all of that shit. So fed up of it. Um, I, hands up, I think childbirth is absolutely disgusting. I also think pregnancy is absolutely disgusting. Um, Having had a baby and being pregnant myself, Um, I think the whole thing is absolute madness that you have a human being inside you. I now have to look at my four-year-old and go, you are inside me. And I don't like that. It's mad. And having a baby is, for some people, I'm sure it's a lovely experience, but let's not sugarcoat it. It hurts and you push a baby either out of your vagina or it gets cut out of you. None of that is fun. And I like that this show shows those different types of birth, you know, we get at the we get at the beginning, and we get Viserys having to make a terrible choice. He makes the wrong choice, silly, silly man, um, because all he cares about is his legacy. Right? This is a show about legacy so much more than Game of Thrones is. Um, and you know, we see she she says to him, "I've had stillbirths, I've had miscarriages, I've had babes that have died in the cradle." I cannot do this anymore. And I think for many women, that's a really real thing that they've experienced. It's a real thing that they feel. Um, and then her birth is horrific. And, and having a giving birth is incredibly dangerous. Women die from it all the time, from just doing, doing giving birth, but also from you know, ineffective people around them, which I think we can point out in this show that there are, when there are men around trying to help the women give birth, they're not so helpful as the women, hey? And I think that's a very big reflection of modern life and how um, hospitals and, and birth has started to become about doctors and it should be more midwife-led. You know, whether that's intentional or not, I don't know, but this film has a lot to say about women and, and, and feminism and femininity. Um, and then we also get, we get Rhaenyra having a great birth. Like, when she gives birth to Joffrey... Apart from what happens afterwards with Alison, I will never forgive you for doing that ever, ever, ever. That's what made you truly evil in my eyes. Um, you know, she she gives birth and it's not an unpleasant experience. But we also see this softer. It's used to see this softer side of Rhaenyra. In the very episode previous, or maybe it's episode four, we hear her talking about how she does not want to die in the childbed like her mother. That's an incredibly legitimate fear. And she's sharing it with Damon. You know, she she feels comfortable sharing that with him. And then we, we go to the very next episode and she's giving birth. And the last person who we think would be a mothering figure, because she's literally said she doesn't want to do it, is Rhaenyra. But yet she takes Joffrey. It's like she's so desperate to have him and hold him and bring her to bring him to her body. And and she's so proud and you see so much love in her face. I mean, Emma Darcy's performance is absolutely amazing. But that's a very conscious decision of both 
of both Emma Darcy, of the of the director, of the of the costumer to make it so that she can bring the baby to her and it, it's covered in the blood and all of that sort of stuff. And then we get to see um Rhaenyra having a horrific birth. And we get to see the true horrors of what her position in life is. It's you know, it's starting to come through. The thing that she was so scared of hasn't happened, but now it finally is because she has to continue producing heirs to secure her place on the throne. And she has this absolutely horrific birth. She's so scared of everybody around her. She's such a lonely figure, right? Even when she marries Damon, who is, you know, we're led to believe the love of her life, she's still so lonely because nobody has to carry the weight of what she does. And even in giving birth, we have this lovely soft scene of her giving birth and being what we consider as the world like a true mother, right? Because mothers are this weird, glorified, but vilified thing all in one. And then we get to see her, the animalistic side of birth, and her going, get it out of me. This is killing me. Get it out of me. And she's being selfish in having that birth. And so she should be, you know, especially, you know, with giving birth. It's all about the babies, right? It's not about the mother. We hear that in episode one, when young Rhaenyra says to her mother, Everybody's gets worried about the babe. Nobody's thinking about you. That's what I'm here for. And then she exercises that in the very last episode. That's a conscious decision that they've done that. And that is so amazing for me that the showmakers can look at that and go, we could just do graphic births. We could not do graphic births. We don't see any of Alison's births, which I think is interesting because Alison's clearly a terrible mother as well. Look at the children you have raised. Um, and and that's such a conscious decision to include it, and I think that's really unique and special in a TV show that's basically about swords and dragons. You know, I've just had a, a a germ of an idea that I'm sure we should speak to Mike Burton at some point for a genuine chit chat episode just around childbirth because I obviously I, I'm a bloke, so I've never gone through it myself, but I can tell you. It's almost 17 years ago, two days ago, my first was born. And the the labor went from Friday night to Sunday morning. Mm. And it was horrendous. And like you say, the blokes are useless there, but you're still there. I, I'm sure I had some form of PTSD. And so when the conversation came up about a second one, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Why? Why would you want to do that? And I was convinced, like... There must be something in a female brain that is able to almost compartmentalize that and just push it away, or else you'd never have a second one, honestly. Because I, 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 I hate like, to tell no you this, way. Dave. That's our our whole lives is compartmentalizing them yeah. and pushing it away. But also, I think yeah. other women potentially have that. I don't. Hence the reason I am never having another child. Because unfortunately, I am able to remember everything. <laughs> And I really yeah, wish I, I wasn't. I, think, <laughs> I think it's a thing and some people have it and some people don't. But I, I thought the whole thing was <laughs> unbelievably traumatic. But um, what I was thinking was it was an interesting contrast for me because you see these different births and, and you have this also this terrible violence that is man-made, you know, and it's almost violence and torture and suffering that is by choice. Whereas for birth, there is no choice. You either do this or, you know, you don't have your heirs or whatever. So I wondered if that's why we saw so many as well. Mm. It's like this is a horrific thing that, that women have to go through by default. There's no getting away from it. Don't, like you say, don't um, 
Hollywood it. Just, uh, there you go, nice clean baby after three uh, deep <laughs> breaths or whatever. You know, it is horrific. Um, but that's just how we survive as a species. So I think it was an incredibly brave decision to go that way, I thought. And Emma says it in the first episode. She says, this is our battlefield. And this is a story about a father and a daughter, but women as well. Like, this is a story where women are centred. And, and I think that's what's also unique about this show is that um, I was recently talking with um, Jack and Tony about t- the TV show Fringe. And I was saying one of the things I love about Fringe is that you never see complex father-son relationships on screen, not to the degree of Fringe. And I feel the same about this show. You, it, it, this is such a complex father-daughter relationship, which I think we are often deprived of in our storytelling. And for me, that's what makes it so unique. So unique, But it doesn't take away any of the centering of um, Rhaenyra or Alison either. And I think that's really a really hard line to walk when telling a story, and they do it perfectly in the show. It is a fine line, and I think when they, the nice thing about this show is they have made the centers of the show two women. I mean, that's largely how the show is, is being advertised. It's how it's being written. You know, Alison and Rhaenyra are the stars of the show, and it's their... It's their experiences are so similar and mirrored. You know, they each have their relationships with their father. They each have the issues with childbirth, but it's how they diverge and how the divergence is what's going to ultimately create the conflict. And I, I think it, it, it's a fine line to walk, especially for this franchise, because they have struggled with how they portray treatment of women and the brutality. And it's like, okay, we get it. There has to be some realism at some point. Otherwise, it's, it's completely different. You know, I think sometimes people we'll watch Lord of the Rings and it's like, yeah, it's a little sanitized. It's, you know, it's a little, whereas this is more gritty, more realistic, but then sometimes you got to be like, okay, we've seen enough of this. We get the point, you know, when you're beating people over the head, you know, I think like Jess says, she's sensitive to sometimes when it's just too much and it's too over the top. So with art, you have to, you know, to calibrate, you have to find the right amount, um, both to convey the emotion, but not go too much. And, and that's why, yeah, it's it's viscerally hard to watch that first episode, and you see more of that, but you also see what those choices are like and who gets to make those choices, and it and it gives the viewers a chance to understand from a, a woman's frame of reference. So I think that's where you know you do have those strong female characters from the first series, but this time around, it seems like the women are placed more at the center front, which is you know I, I think an interesting choice and a good choice. You know, you mentioned about that term which I think I heard first from Ian McShane when he came on the show and said, oh, Game of Thrones, it's all tits and dragons. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got a feeling I do need to go back and watch the season again, uh, or the whole Game of Thrones series. I've got a feeling it's going to age quite poorly because th- there was one character in particular, I think Roz, who I think her name was Roz, who wasn't in the books. But basically, she was just a prostitute from Winterfell initially, and then she goes to King's Landing. And just the whole, her whole arc was just very exploitative. I just remember she ends up getting killed off by Joffrey. And it's just, it was a bit over the top. So I think this has a much better overall just storytelling, but less of the titillation stuff, no pun intended. So... Jess, uh, if I could come to you, you mentioned about not noticing like great acting or great actors. So who are some of your favorites from the season? And then I think we'll go a little bit off-piste on our, our favorite moments. Um, absolutely. So forgive me if I forget all names. 
Um, <laughs> um, but Emma, I think it was what was interesting for me was when the the time la- the, the time jump first happened. I was like properly not happy about it because I'd gotten very invested in Rhaenyra number one. Um, but, Emma, <laughs> but Emma Darcy took like five seconds to win me over. I was, I was, I was genuinely upset. <laughs> we, um, me and my partner used to, we would finish the, we would finish the latest episode and we'd be so excited for the next one that we'd watch the trailer. And when I watched the trailer, I was like, no, no, where is, where's Rhaenyra? Like are they, and I was just so upset, but Emma Darcy took like, she took five, took five seconds of here to, to win me over. Um, and you can see with, 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 with her acting, you can see the kind of tension that she's constantly facing. But what I love about Rhaenyra as a character, and Emma, I think Emma portrays this really well, is she is constantly... Um, sometimes subtly and sometimes not so, just defying the expectations of her or like what she is supposed to be doing in her role. Um, um, you know, she, she's just, def- she's, she's defying what people, people's expectations, you know, like having a male heir. She is, she's so, you know, I think Kristen gives her an out at one point. He's like, you know, we could just, we could just go away together. She's like, no, <laughs> um, because she, she doesn't want an out. She doesn't, she, 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 she knows that it's going to be a struggle, but she doesn't, she's just, I think, I think she's, she likes being defiant. I think she, it, you know, she doesn't like that it brings her so much pain and, 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 you know, so, so much trouble, but I think she likes it. And that's what I get from Emma, from Emma Darcy's performance is just her being so, um, she just paints that so well of her, of her sort of, it's understanding what everybody's expectations are and understanding that she is just going against them. Um, so I, I, I truly love Emma Darcy, but, um, I also really loved, um, I know his name, Paddy. Is it Paddy Constant? Uh, the, the guy who played Viserys? Viserys. Yeah, Paddy yeah. Constant. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. He was incredible. Incredible. Just his his slow decline, his, his um, you know, like the way he reacts to, you can see his realisation that he like properly fucked up in the first you know he properly fucked up in the first episode and just the rest the rest of his of his existence in the in the series is him like battling with that and battling with his role as as king to produce or or, or, not even to produce heirs because he because he because he names Rhaenyra as his heir but he just is constantly I think trying to make up for that um but he's all the time just like very slowly, very visually declining. Um, but I thought he was especially, especially good in 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 the in the final episode that he was in, where he where he's just a fucking mess. Um, and I think they did that so well. Like I was, I just couldn't stop looking at him as as this like, you know. like this this just like completely worn down decrepit person but he um 
yeah, he just, he, 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 he showed such, I think, st- strength is not the right word, but, but, you know, such determination, I think, and such um, convictions, right? He was just like constantly in, 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 in um, battle with himself, I think. Um, so yeah, I thought his acting was, was brilliant. Yeah, I think he kind of cut a tragic figure, not unlike Eddard Stark, and did in season one of, of Game of Thrones. And don't want to spoil it for Jess, but unfortunately there are people out there listening who might know what happens. But, you know, having read the books, I kind of figured, yeah, Viserys was going to be a one-season character, and that's very much like Eddard Stark. And you see the goodness of the man, but maybe he, that's kind of the, the tragedy of Westeros is sometimes the men and women who are good are not really meant to succeed or in this world or their their plots and schemes don't usually come off or, or their aims don't usually come off and and that's what was what made i think it was episode eight was his last episode was was so beautiful it's, he, he took one last stand to go to bat for rhaenyra and then that dinner when he you know he tried to convey that he loved all them he wanted to bring them together and that was his vision but because of his own failures the family was just too broken and yes for one night for a few minutes they could come together and that's when you had the montage of them laughing and getting together but it was just he left the room and that was the story writing it was just a show he, as soon as he left the room it was over and that, that's the way it was always going to be so yeah it kind of mirrored that way that's what made him such a compelling character and it was really acted well by uh, patty Considine. i think most of us watched that episode eight and were just like give him all the awards just unbelievable and i love the fact that apparently the bit where like damon picks up his crown and gives it to him was just an ad lib thing it wasn't written in any script or anything i just thought that was amazing but um conversely what made me laugh was in episode nine where damon's like well he's clearly been killed hasn't he i'm like really it's it's not unbelievable that this guy has just died you know the state (laughs) he was in before but um, yeah, that did make me chuckle. Rhea, how about yourself? I mean, some of those favorite characters there. Yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> we, we talked about this in Discord, Dave. Uh, Damon is my problematic fave. I, I do not fancy Matt Smith at all. And I do not advocate for either incest or killing wives or trying to sleep with young people. But for some reason, David is just the absolute the best. Like, he has all the red flags, doesn't he? Like so many red flags. So, so why do we fancy him? Like I just don't, I don't get. It. But I mean, Matt Smith's performance as Damon is is absolutely incredible, and you can tell he has thought about every single thing that he's doing. You know, there are scenes, he's, he, he's just like leaning against walls. That's something he, he does because of the way, you know, he's thought about what does Damon do if he's in a room? You know, who is Damon? Damon is a second son. What does he want? Does Damon want the throne? No, Damon wants to be near the throne. He wants to be near power. He wants to belong, right? He wants to be Viserys's hand. He doesn't want the throne for himself, although, you know, that's we're not so sure in the first couple of episodes, but we see how it's more than that. He, you know, he he very much believes himself as the second son, that he is not the one that's good enough. So how does he get closer to things? How does he use his 
his intelligence to manipulate people into getting what he wants as well. I mean, sometimes you probably need to be a bit more sophisticated than just scaring a horse and hitting somebody on the head with a rock, Damon. But you do you. Go for it. Um, and I, So I just think his, his performance is extraordinary. Um, I think I... See, I'm a huge... Um, uh, I'm a huge fan of, of Paddy Constein. I think he's so fantastic. And I think just putting him in this role, casting him in this role, is absolute genius. Like He's a beloved indie British actor, right? So, so we know he's going to bring it. He's going to bring so much more to Viserys than ever could be written in either a history or fiction book, right? He was always going to elevate that character. And he's such an interesting and tragic character. I just, he knows he's doing everything wrong. He knows he's not a good king. He wants to, he wants to leave some sort of legacy, but he knows he's not the right person to. You even see that when he, he gets told that he is going, he's the heir. You see him. He, he looks over across to um to Renice and he looks over across and you you can tell just from what Paddy's doing with his face he thinks it should be her it shouldn't be me and we see that carried through we see he asks people how will I be be remembered will I be a good king but there's he's just there's something about him there's a kindness to him he's just trying to do the right thing and he's not the right person to and I think getting somebody to make you feel all of those things about Viserys is incredibly hard and getting Paddy in is just absolute amazing casting like absolutely like brilliant I'm a big fan of Olivia Cook as well I've loved all of the work she's done so as soon as I knew she was going to be in this I was like yes and I I sort of know a bit about Alison from the history books per se so I was very interested in what Olivia Cook was going to do with that and again I think she's I think Alison could have been a Disney cartoon villain and there's definitely some of that in there but I think there's a lot more that we get to see from her brought on from the younger actress um, who played Emily Carey who played Alison when she was younger as well I think I think Olivia Cook's done a wonderful carry on of she she's really understood the text right Olivia Cook has understood that and she's gone and looked at how um, young Alison was played and gone I know how to carry that on and make that into an incredible role. But for me, the standout is just Emma Darcy. I think they're amazing. I think they have brought, again, so much to a role who, in the history books, um, isn't necessarily the most heroic role. Um, I'm trying to think about what I'm saying. And I think Emma Darcy has the most incredible way of portraying emotion. The scenes that stand out for me that are my favourite scenes are ones where Emma Darcy's doing so much with their face or with their body that doesn't need to be done. But they're so... they Again, they get the role. And I think that's incredibly special. I think they, the casting directors must just have gone, with all of the main cast, we have, this is magic. We have hit absolute magic. How did we do this? Casting directors are the unsung heroes of the show. 
Absolutely, and I, I feel like they maybe chose more well-known no, names for this series, but then I was thinking back, and it was like, well, Sean Bean was quite well-known, wasn't he? I can't remember the actor's name, but Robert Baratheon was in, like, the Full Monty and stuff. So they're all well-known British actors, but not necessarily the first go-tos. And and like you say, they, hats off to them. They, they've absolutely nailed it. I mean, I, I do think Emma Darcy, that last moment of the last episode where she turns around, just unbelievable. But um, just for me, if I focus on Matt Smith for a moment, I can't wrap my head around the fact that this is the quirky Doctor Who. It is also an unbelievable double of Prince Philip and it's this absolute bastard who, you know, he's almost on a Jamie Lannister type arc. You know, he's a horrible, horrible person. But I tell you what, at the end of episode nine, I was like, Damon, go fuck some shit up. <laughs> right? I was, my money was on him. It was like, come on, Damon, I, I'm counting on you. So it didn't really pan out exactly how I thought. But yeah, he was the hero we needed in episode uh, 10 is, is how I was thinking. So yeah, I, I completely agree just across the board, though. And I, I'm not that familiar with Paddy Constantine or, or not Constantine. Constantine. Uh, yeah, Constantine. So, Constantine's Constantine. very different. <laughs> yeah, it's a very different one, isn't it? Um, but also, uh, Eve, uh, I want to say Reese Evans, but it's not Reese, is it? It's Ephus or something like that, Evans. Um, I think he's Welsh, isn't he? So it'll probably be like Reese Evans or something. Reese Evans, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just remember him from Twin Towns, you know, he was a little <laughs> bit after train spotting. But um, as Otto Hightower, I think he oh. does such a great job of that. Yeah, he's a real sneaky bastard. Almost little finger. He's yeah. so evil. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, he is almost like mustache twirling, isn't he? And and you know, he's like ultimate again, slow burn sneaky bastard. Exactly. You he's know? not obvious. He's just waiting for the right moment. And so yeah, I think across the board, like you say, Rhea, just unbelievable casting and performances as well. You know, and you've got to say to the directors how they're directing the actor mm. actors. Um, unbelievable stuff. So if we come to, touched on a, a few of the favourite moments there, let's come to you, Scott. Some of your favourite moments from the season. Well, I think, uh, I think you mentioned, you know, there was obviously when you were jumping back in the first season, or, or first episode, the, the childbirth was, was pretty striking. You're like, wow, we're back in Westeros. But even before that, I think you know, the wow, we're back in Westeros moment was just the first shot, how they decided to introduce, I mean, after the, the, the Great Council, but the first shot of bringing Cyrax in from the clouds, and then you kind of zoom over King's Landing. It was one of those, I once heard every season premiere of Game of Thrones is kind of like coming back from summer to school, and you're seeing all your friends again. And it kind of was like that. And the way they chose to portray, okay, this is King's Landing at the height of Targaryen power. It was, you know, it was bright, you know, it was peacetime. And the way that they kind of lit up uh, the Red Keep and you got to see different sides of the Red Keep. Because, you know, look, budgets and technology, it's a little more claustrophobic when you watch the old series. You know, you don't see a ton of the inside of the Red Keep. So they showed you more of that. So I, I thought that was just a cool way to start it. And then the tourney, which was kind of juxtaposed with Emma's childbirth about the battlefield, that was, okay, we're back in Westeros now. Now we're back, and here's, here's the battle. And yeah, it wasn't war, but it was knights at war, you know, knights fighting. And so I thought um, that was a pretty cool way to kind of bring everybody back. Uh, I think 
just t zooming through some of the some of the big moments i think was cool is kind of the 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 duality of the the two scenes on the bridge of dragonstone you got that in episode i think two episode two and then you got that in the finale episode just how it was different and they even shot it very similarly where it was you had Damon on one side and you had Otto on the other and then Rhaenyra came in the first time though she's with Otto the second time and she she's not and so she walks past him so the way that they kind of bookended the season you know that's kind of what makes Game of Thrones is yes the big temple battle scenes dragon scenes those are great those are absolutely fantastic but what makes Game of Thrones Game of Thrones is you know the the conversations and those those tense moments of dialogue you know it's what Tyrion said it's the history you know it's people talking in rooms so you kind of got that a little bit on the bridge and then you got another great throne room scene you know not as great as you know Tyrion's trial but that episode eight where it's like the last stand of Viserys when he comes in dramatically and he's trudging along and just the dramatic effect of that I thought was was pretty excellent and then yeah the way they showed decided to end the last two episodes the the coronation was a whole new that is completely new that was new for all of us i don't think anybody expected that to happen readers or viewers and then just how they ended the the finale with that epic uh dragon battle and the way it was almost kind of like a horror movie with vagar on top of rx i thought it was pretty good so i mean they really pulled out all the stops i think the last couple episodes that was more the visual stuff whereas earlier in this the the season was a lot of dialogue but it was cool how they, they had a lot of scenes that kind of worked together with other scenes, like the two bridge episodes, and then, of course, the, the two scenes juxtaposed in the first episode about the different types of battlefields. I, I think they, they actually put a lot of thought in not just telling the story, but telling it through this type of medium, which is nice. It did remind me a bit of How's Train Your Dragon, I have to say, some of those shots. <laughs> so they used a lot of those inspiration. Memes. They used it as inspiration. Oh, so the really? directors what? come out and said, "Yeah, that literally was like used it as the inspiration for the scene, which is amazing. I love that so much because how the nice. scenes in How to Train Your Dragon are epic. Um, if they ever re-release them in IMAX, I suggest you go and see them because we saw the first in IMAX and they were unbelievable. That is so cool. They right? they just took it from that. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. I didn't know that. Jess, how about yourself? Some of your favourite moments there. Um. The throne, the, the throne scene, I think episode eight, we were talking about it earlier with Viserys, his kind of last stand. I was, I was screaming at the TV. I think at one point I screamed, go on lad, when Damon <laughs> sliced, <laughs> sliced that guy's head off. Um, oh, just so the, good. Just the whole... Don't you call her a whore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was like, go on, say it. Like, um, but... But apart from Damon being, you know, the badass, complicated character that he is and just completely going from, like, zero to 1,000 and slicing someone's head off, um, the, the entrance of Viserys at, like, such a pivotal moment in his daughter's, in his daughter's um, life was, was, to me, just... Like, it was just perfect because... You're, you know, there's all this tension. You're worried about Rhaenyra and and his sons, and because you know, because you're like, okay, Rhaenyra, you kind of fucked up here. You might have wanted to fall in love with someone who maybe looked a bit like your husband, um, and now everybody's like finding you out. Oh my god! Um, and then, so you know, you like, it's tense. You're worried, and then when Viserys enters, and he's in so much pain, 
He's in so, so much pain. He's like doubled over and he's, I mean, he's basically crawling, crawling to the throne. So it's taking every single ounce of his energy to do it. But I feel like he was doing it for Rhaenyra. Um, and, and it was just, it was, it was, it was, I think it was a really like beautiful, powerful moment. I think, I, I don't think he's just doing it for Rhaenyra, but I think for me, that was the key that, that, that's what I took away from it. And that, that's what I found, found so, I think, powerful. It's like, she's a fully grown adult who has spent years making her own choices, her own informed choices, but she still, she still like needs her father there to like help it. You know, she still needs him there. Um, I just, I just was absolutely blown away by that. I think that was one of my favorite moments. Um, so yeah, so th- that that was one of my favorite moments, and also earlier on in the season, uh, Rhaenyra's uh, wedding, because it happened um, in the same episode where here and like here and Damon start, you know, get getting real close. Um, and I I haven't watched any of the Game of Thrones stuff, but I I you know I I've heard people talk about Game of Thrones, so I know some of the stuff that happens, and I was sitting there like. Now they won't. That's not gonna. That's not. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. It's. What are they doing? What? Are, <laughs> what is? What is happening? And so you know that all happens, and so all of a sudden you're kind of hooked into the dynamic between Rhaenyra and Damon because it changes, and so I'm hooked into that. And and there's again like so much suspense, so much tension, and and you so you know something you know something's gonna happen. Alison is pissed off, like there's all this te- there's all this like tension and suspense. But what I didn't think, what I, what I and what that's what I love about this 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 series is every episode, I I was able to predict nothing that happened. Absolutely fuck all. <laughs> I predicted zero. <laughs> I never knew what was happening. Um, I was always surprised. And so I didn't expect. <laughs> so I'm like Alison comes in. Yeah. <laughs> Alison comes in all dressed in green. We're like, oh, fuck, she's going to like properly fuck. She's going to fuck shit up. She does nothing. And was it Kristen? Kristen fuck shit up. Boo. Kristen, I hate Kristen. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> You're not yeah. even a good villain. I just hate you. You're not Cersei, who I love. Like, it's one of my favourite characters. I hate you. Hate you, Kristen Cole. Boo, yeah. incel. <laughs> what, she, yeah. she has sex with you it. and then doesn't want to run away with you because she's making her own choice. And now you hate her and you've got a lifelong now debt against her and her entire family, against children. What is wrong with you? How have you got a job? He's so shit at his job. He's literally the shittest at his job. Like... Not only does he not protect anybody, people keep on running away under his watch. He doesn't know anything that's going on. You're literally supposed to be watching these people and stopping the shit from happening. Then you beat a man to death at a wedding and you've still got a job. You're the worst. I hate him so much. I hate him. And I loved it because I was talking to people at the start. And they're like, oh, because they've done a great job with his costume. They're like, he's so handsome. Of course, Rhaenyra fancies him. He's so handsome. I was like, just you wait, everyone. Just you wait until you find out what absolute knobhead he is. Actually the worst. Get over it. And is he shagging Alison? Because totally. 
totally is. He at least wants to. So he's all like, mm, purity, mm, 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 she's a whore. Well, look at yourself. You're a little whore, aren't you? <laughs> you little whore. I hate Kristen Cuff so much. Sorry, Jess. I really, I mean, yeah, well, why, you're saying stuff. Later, <laughs> Later, we're going to find out how Rhea actually feels about Kristen Cole, but it's a little bit of it. Get off the fence. Yeah. have been waiting for a rant. Get off the fence. You know, you know what? I don't know how... I don't know anything about... I can never predict what's going to happen in House of the Dragon. I can absolutely predict what's going to happen when I mention Kristen Cole to Rhea. <laughs> So this is your fault. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Just excellent content. No, I'm joking. But yeah, that that whole thing. I just love when when an episode finishes and I'm like on the floor. You know, I'm just like, what what happened? And that was one of those moments. I must admit, I was surprised he survived old Kristen Cole. Because I I keep (sighs) expecting him to die. Like I say, I thought, you know... Uh, there were various points where I think, well, you're dead, but now he's just wandering around as a as his gold cloak, and it's like, hang about, you just murdered a guy. Why why have you not been put to death? So I, I don't quite get it, and I'm like yourself, Jess. I I didn't know really what was going to happen, or even get to the point. Like when it was Game of Thrones season five, I had my conspiracy wall out. I I'd read the book. So I was predicting people in, at work were sick of me because I was like, oh, yeah. and I knew, I knew that Jon Snow was the prince that was promised. I, I, you know, I'm like, and there's all these reasons. And they were like, all right, Dave, come on. <laughs> just, just, making a, just making a coffee here, you know, don't even watch it. So, but with this one, I have no idea. So yeah, I kept expecting Kristen to die, but uh, I kind of hope for this uh, rear reoccurring rant, I'm hoping uh, he sticks around for a bit longer. <laughs> oh, I don't, I'm really going to get eaten by a dragon. I hate him so much. <laughs> Ugh, such a knob. And like, he doesn't, like, at one point he assaults one of the heirs. He used to, I can't remember if it's Jace or Luke. And I'm like, literally, these are the heirs to the throne. How can mm. you get away with doing it? Like, is it like, I don't know, is it? Is, is Alison's vagina protecting him? I don't get it. I just do not get it. But what I do like about him, well, not about him, but about the role he is in, in, in it is neither he or Laris seem to know about each other. And Alison's got like her little game on with these two men. He's like, oh, he's looking at you. He's been looking at you. It's like, Kristen, he has been wanking over her feet for about 10 years. The fact that you don't even know that. Again, you are so literally so shit at your job. You're supposed to protect the queen. You don't know a man is going into her chambers at night to wank over her feet. How are you literally this shit? Oh, he's looking at you. Yeah. What? He's looking Close at my your feet. fucking yeah. eyes. Did I miss <laughs> like, an episode? <laughs> do you not see when he's wanking over Alison's feet? Oh, come on, Dave. Laris. I must have fallen asleep for that bit. <laughs> Laris, Laris Strong, yeah. It's where, yeah. It's oh where she uh, takes Which down the side. Nine? She's like, she... Uh, Dave! It's episode nine. Oh, my God. You're going to have to think go back and rewatch the entire series. Yeah, I think you're right. Because you yeah, spend like, right. the whole anyway. series going, what does he want from her? And then, and then we get it in episode nine. What he wants is her to slowly take <laughs> off her stocking and get her feet out whilst he has a wink. In oh, a season word. of pretty weird stuff, 
That was way up there. I mean, right? that's what's always funny when you talk to people at the show. You're like, oh yeah, it's a great show filled with incest and graphic childbirth and now feet. <laughs> it's, but it, so that, that was uh, an interesting turn. Also not in the book. Not in the book. Yeah. Interesting choice. It doesn't tend to be in much of the history books, I guess. So yeah, they probably, sure I probably Laris wants to leave that one out. I probably also, I also want to leave that one out. She's probably <laughs> yeah. not telling the the maesters that write write the book yeah. in that regard. She probably wants crossing to those on ones the out. Don't read my diary. Don't read my direct diary of September the twentieth. Cross that one quickly. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what going because she's got a very complicated house. I mean, you're going to mm. see probably in the next season. Both sides of it, kind of how they they separated episodes nine and ten. Nine was the Greens and King's Landing, ten was the Blacks and Dragonstone, and you're probably going to see the different sides because any time that they're going to come together, you're going to see that things are going to get pretty explosive. Maybe not always explosive would happen in the finale, but you know it's going to be the build up. So when you're going to see the separate sides and their own houses of war as they prepare and they scheme and plot, that's going to be a lot for Allison to juggle because she's still the main character on that side. I mean, Aegon is, he's a, he's a twat. I mean, he's an absolute <laughs> idiot. I mean, the, the, or, or twat, as I heard when I went yes, to Anfield is, uh, yeah, I didn't pronounce that properly. Hopefully I got that good for our, uh, UK listeners. Um, but Aegon is, is not fit. He's not fit to rule. So he'll, he'll be doing his, his Joffrey type stuff where he's not fit to rule, but Allison will be the real power like Tywin was. So it'll be interesting to see if she can get her own house in order. Yeah, and that's so interesting about him not being fit to rule. I've got a ton of notes um, around that, about how not only is he clearly a terrible human being who's, you know, needed some better maybe discipline when growing up, but I think we see that throughout all of Alison's family, right, that they've just been allowed to run riot. And we get the contrast of Rhaenyra's family where, Whenever we're in her chambers, it feels like a family lives there, right? It's slightly chaotic. There's soft furnishings all over the place, but there's lots of love and, and you feel all of that. And then you feel the opposite with Alison's family. You, you know, it's, it's very cold. She's always shouting at them, always having a go at them, always ordering them around. But then we also see just like how... It's, so this is some of one of my favourite scenes as well, you know, how, how he's just so unfit and you can see that even Otto knows that he's unfit right Otto because Otto's such a climate all Otto wants is power which is from like his brother's Alison's uncle you see him in one of in the scene when she walks in her green dress another one of my favorite scenes people walking is lots of my favorite scenes in this that scene of Alison <laughs> yeah. coming in um when Rhaenyra's given birth and she walks and then Viserys walking in as well like they are all fantastic scenes I love the scene when Rhaenyra's walking um, after giving birth, and they have to pass Kristen Cole. I'm like, punch him oh. in the fucking face. I hate him. And he does that smug look after, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I hate you so much. Um, what a great actor to inspire right? such a visceral reaction right? in you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even Otto knows that he that he's not fit to rule, but he doesn't care because all he wants is somebody from his lineage on the throne, and that's all hmm. that matters. And so you can just. You, you, it's being implied it's all going to fall apart for them. So how will that inform the rest of the story? And, and I just think that's what's going to be interesting 
going going forward? I think you know, obviously there's going to be the big epic battles and all of those sort of things, but what are those interpersonal relationships between all the characters and how are they gonna either come together or fall apart? And again, that that's a lot of my favourite scenes within the show. I you know, I love the scene with Viserys walking in. I think it's incredibly powerful, like like crying, Damon coming up and going, Oh, come on, like love it. Um Luke's death is absolutely horrific crying at that as well like all over the place but then there's the smaller scenes like you know between between Alison and Rhaenyra when they're younger in the godswoods or with um Rhaenyra and Damon in the godswoods all those sort of things where people are talking they're just dropping us little little breadcrumbs about what's going on I love all those little scenes as well and I think they're they're what's really elevating this up to the beginning of game of thrones levels why it's so good from from the off you mentioned about the greens and the blacks there now i've heard people saying oh which side are you on and and i was surprised to hear that question because i was like well i'm on the blacks surely all day long it's like the whole captain america versus uh iron man thing it's like iron man's a douchebag just you've got to be team captain america so I was interested what everyone else, what their thoughts are. You know, is there a case for being on the side of the Greens? I mean, like you say, Damon is a horrible, horrible person, but he's he's kind of the hero we need, uh, I feel like. I mean, how about yourself, Rhea? Uh, you seem to be Team Black as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm very much Team Black, and I, they've positioned it that way, haven't they? You know, I think I think the makers have made it very clear whose side we need to be on. And, and Team Black is a family, you know. Who do Baylor and Rhaenyra go to, oh, sorry, and Raina go to when they see Aemon claiming Vega, right? They go to Jason Luke. You know, it's, so everybody involved in Team Black, you know, Rhaenys, who does she side with? She doesn't really have to side with anybody. She should just, like, burn them all. I love Rhaenys. She should just burn them all and be like, fuck it, sitting on the phone, you're all dicks. Um, you know, but we see, oh, we see. It? Sorry to cut across you there. Was <laughs> no, it? go for it. Episode nine, where she's just there on the dragon in oh, the throne room, the and I'm just eight, like yeah. saying, "Just say it, just say it, Dracarys. We all want to hear it." And she oh didn't. yeah, episode nine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you could have just finished nine. it there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the yeah, and, and that so, was the thing. So you she could have, she could, yeah, she could have torched all of them, and a lot of people were like. You know, when you're watching, you're like, just do it. The show would be over. They're like, oh, that's like a plot hole. But I, I thought they tried to explain it well. She said, you know, at that time, she really hadn't decided who she was going to side with, even though it was seemingly inevitable she was going to side with the Blacks. But for her view, it's like the Greens certainly weren't on her side. I mean, they had imprisoned her. The Blacks, you know, she blamed Rhaenyra for her son's death. She knew something was going on there. So for her view, it was a war that she wasn't her place to start, and she couldn't, couldn't cared about the lot of them. But it was only, you know, some of the twists in episode 10 where she decided to, you know, choose her side, so to speak. So I, I thought Eva Best did a great job with Rainey's all season. I hope we see more of her and Steve Toussaint as uh, Corliss. Those are two characters that seemed like every time they were on the screen were great. We just didn't get enough time with them because of how much they had to do. And obviously, Allison and Rainier are, are the, the main characters. But man, really, they need to give Rainey's and, and Corliss more screen time, because they're fantastic. They did a great job, and, and Rainey's really dovetailed with Rhaenyra and that element of, you know, women trying to break tradition, and what does that look like, and, and you know, Rainey's had been down that road, and she saw exactly how it ends. Mm, couldn't agree more. 
great point. I thought she did a great job in convincing her husband as well to side with the blacks because it's like, yeah, so Damon did sort of slice your brother's head off, uh, but you know, we should really <laughs> still side with these guys. I was we like, you're on to a loser. The rug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So would you be team black or, or team green? I'm absolutely team black. But I think that's because I fancy Damon. I didn't fancy Damon <laughs> in the first couple of episodes. Um, never ever before has have I been so disgusted by a character at the beginning and just so enthralled by the same character towards the end. Um, but team, but yeah, team black. Um, absolutely. For all the, all the reasons we've already discussed, but, but, but yeah, I think, I think that, that, you know, like Rhea said, the strong sense of family. Um, I think, we well, I'm certainly because because the greens. I think the the characters in the greens. I think they're just they're complex, obviously, but they're more they're just more overtly like dis you know dislikable, disliked. Mm-hmm. Like that you, you're not you're not rooting for them. Like you don't. Mm. They're just we just like they're just you just don't like them. Um, you know, you 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 think they're you think they're evil and and conniving and sly and uh, everything that a good you know a good a good set of villains should be really you know they're there to fuck shit up whatever. But so is Damon, and I but I'm like rooting for Damon, you know, because Damon's complexity has come across so much more. I don't know in a way that means that um you know I know I know he's done some really shit things and 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 you know. I was, I was, I, you know, I was disgusted again when he like gripped, he like gripped Rhaenyra round the neck in the last, was it the last episode? And mm. I was, yeah, I was like all kinds of, all kinds of different like emotions at that point. Um, but, but, but you still see a lot of, I think maybe, maybe we understand him more. We understand his motives more. Um, we see that, I think, like you said, Dave, we still see him as a bit of a hero, you know, at the be- and and I love how they how they switch. Like at the beginning, it was Damon bad, Kristen good, and by the end of it, it's it's t- just it's the opposite, you know. They have taken these two characters and they've just, you know, they've just switched. They've just switched their roles, but they have, but without making Damon just a good person, it's so much more complex than that. So. So yeah, team 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 black. So I'm back on the needle has switched again to recommending Game of Thrones. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things that I mean for me I fell in love with the series because it just subverts that that whole traditional storytelling, you know, you have Prince Charming, uh Jamie Lannister who turns out to be a dick. Oh wait, no, he's not. He's a, he's a bit redeemable <laughs> and then no, no, he's a dick. Uh but everyone is kind of like just a bit grey and you have, you know, probably one of the in my opinion, uh they called him the Hound, you know, one of the grittiest, most horrible people turns out to be one of the most kind of noble he's just the most pragmatic he just tries to get, make his way in the world but he he doesn't believe all the bullshit around it so yeah i'm back to recommending game of thrones now <laughs> <laughs> brilliant but i'll stick with yourself jess so 
I mean, you said you're terrible at predicting. So like myself, I cannot predict where this season is going to go. I do remember, I mean, they dropped little hints within the Game of Thrones uh, episodes about things that happened hundreds of years ago and whatever. So we know where it finishes up 200 years from now. But uh, what are your predictions for the next season? Well, I'm, I'm really intrigued by Damon and Rhaenyra's relationship um, because I, I think, you know, Damon, I do think Damon has, has got some, um, you know, hidden desire, you know, himself to, to, to be on the throne. And, and while he's, he's shown, um, you know, loyalty and support to Rhaenyra, um, I think it was that I think it was that that bit that I just mentioned in the last episode where he like grips onto her neck when when he realizes that he had not been included in something that was incredibly significant um and he he reacts so suddenly um you know it, 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 it's it's that it's that like spark that like um um you know impulsiveness that like impulsive anger that like that like a like a trip hazard um <laughs> and so i don't i don't think we can just bank on him and this is again me me not having any understanding of the books or anything i don't feel like i can i can i can rely on him to be completely 100 percent supportive of rhaenyra to be the queen um yeah he, he's like an agent of chaos isn't he i mean it mm. seems like when you see episode 10 when it's clear they're probably going to war, he's like, all right, let's go. Because that's where he's most comfortable. He's most comfortable in just going as aggressive as possible and just basically throwing the Mentos and Coke and just letting everything explode everywhere. I mean, that's what he was ready to do in season two, right? I mean, so he was ready to blow it all up. Whereas Rhaenyra has always been the more calm. But they're both rash actors. They both make some bold choices. I mean, Rhaenyra has certainly done that. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting because... You know, it's funny when people were reacting to the show as it went along, like Damon was the villain to start out with. And people were like, I don't know about this guy. And, and just to circle back what you said before, you're like, why do I fancy him? Well, he's the bad boy. And if you could, if you could explain to us why women like the bad boy, you might be explaining human history. So but this just kind of dovetails <laughs> in with that. But, he's, but he becomes the bad boy, whereas before he's just all against the family. And then later they, you know, he gets closer to Rhaenyra and comes back into the fold. Whereas you see who the true villains are, like Kristen Cole, Otto's always been in the background. Um, I think Alicent, she's not really evil. It's just, you know, I, I read that they explained to her some of her motivation was like women for Trump. I mean, clearly she, that's the type mm -hmm. of character she is. She's all, she's mm -hmm. very, she gets very accustomed to power and she sees the world through a certain lens and she just, you know, kind of excuses some things in the name of justifying it. But I think maybe what we'll see from Damon is not so much that he's against Rhaenyra, but he's just such a chaos actor that he acts impulsively, whereas if he had taken a deep breath and actually listened to her, things might have gone differently. So I think I wonder if they might portray it more like that, because, I mean, clearly you could see if he's let off the chain, some bad things are going to be happening, whereas Rhaenyra has a conscience. It's sort of like how Daenerys didn't want to burn King's Landing, and then Filcher did. Spoiler alert. Uh, but, I mean, even even... Rhaenyra doesn't want to do that. She has the dragons. She has more dragons than the, the Greens have, but she doesn't want to tear down King's Landing and destroy the realm. So she has, you know, almost a governor on her actions, whereas 
Damon definitely does not. So I think maybe that'll be kind of the conflict between the two of them and just the, the differences in their two behaviors. Yeah, I think you've I think you've nailed it. Absolutely. Um, the Mento, the Mentos and Coke thing, I think that was the best is <laughs> probably one of the best analogies I've heard lately. So, yeah, um, I, yeah, I completely agree. And the other thing that I was thinking about predictions, which is very rare for me, obviously, because I just can't predict shit, um, is the tension between Egon. Is it Egon? Egon, yeah, and his younger brother. I can't remember what his younger brother's called. Eamon. Yeah, there we go. Um, also, like, why, why, why do, why do all the names sound very similar? Why are they making it hard for us? That's Game and of that's Thrones. Why we're in They're this all trouble as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's definitely why. Well, why we're in this trouble. Um, but it's. I, I've got to say, I'm with you, me. Jess, because the the one of the taglines for the show is history does not remember blood, it remembers names. I remember hardly any of these names. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's why I ask the questions. I don't give the answers. <laughs> oh, very smart. Um, yeah. That's why yeah, I love a... people who watch it casually because people can watch it casually. Like they don't know the names. It's like, oh yeah, that guy. That's so and so's brother. That's the guy who did that, the blonde that episode. One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except they're all blonde. <laughs> yeah, that that's me. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, the tension between Egon and his younger brother. I think. I'd really like to see that sort of, um, you know, kind of ricochet through the next the next season, because um, you know, Aymond, yeah, he he he's just. I think he's he's also agent. I think agent of chaos. He he's, but he's you know he's very um, he's very I don't know focused. I think um, on on. On, on what he wants and I think what he wants is, is definitely the throne so that'll be interesting to see play out oh, yeah he's like the other side of the coin sweet baby the other side of the coin too yeah Aegon who we, doesn't want no, him yeah, yeah we, we hardly knew you Luke but no Aemon is very hey, much like Damon Luke, Luke was amazing that little actor was amazing just his little I don't want it I don't want to do any of it everyone leave me alone just want to like <laughs> chill out with my dragon it's like, oh my god, he's such a sweetheart, you fucking evil dick. He was totally not prepared to go to Storm's End. And I don't I know mean, why they he didn't really shouldn't Ra- have been sent. That's such a terrible yeah. tactical move. They had Rhaenys, who was close to the Baratheon <laughs> yeah. family. We saw that in episode one. It's like, you have her right here. She's not gone. She's literally right here. It said you're going to send this little kid who doesn't know anything about anything, and he just shows up and... I mean, it was just funny how Lord Baratheon basically just laughed at him, called him a pup, and sent him on his way. It was, it was a bad, bad idea. Bad plan. Bad, and, and, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, that's the writing. Is it the writing? It's like, well, it's okay to write people who make bad decisions. Like, Rhaenyra hasn't been the queen yet. Now she's the yeah. queen. Now she sits in the chair and has to make the decisions. And, yeah, she, she's going to have to recognize, uh, yeah, maybe sending in people who aren't prepared to do the job. Where, but... You know, that'll be the choice. But yeah, it is really cool that Aemon versus Damon, um, like I said, they're two sides of the same coin. They, they look similar, they act similar, they are, each side has their own reckless agent. So it'll be really cool to see where each one of them goes and how they, you know, decide to make decisions in the heat of war. Because that's, you know, very much it seems like that's not only what started the war, but what's going to keep it going. See, I don't think it was a terrible decision to send... Luke, you know, I kind of look at it like 
the guest privilege you know so if you're a guest you can't slaughter people you know so i, I should have been yeah that never that happens that in westeros exactly <laughs> i should have been taught that that shouldn't be a problem but i thought going as a messenger i thought that was an okay tactic clearly you know what happened uh makes it a bad decision but i don't think on its own you you can see why she made that decision you know it's it's kind of okay for him to go as a messenger and that's why Baratheon, you know, he, he said, you know, he's here as a messenger, you know, just let him go. It's just the stuff that happened after, which was amazing. And Amond is the, this fucking arsehole that, that he's Joffrey, isn't he? To, to me, he's mm. Joffrey. I just want to see him get his comeuppance. And again, I'm still in that holding pattern. I want Damon to fuck some shit up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So any other predictions or we're just about coming to the end? Yeah, don't want to give away too many spoilers and and the and the plot it, it's hard it's hard. I, I mean I, the prediction is I think it's going to be a long wait until 2024 because that's probably oh when it's coming back. <laughs> hopefully it'll be closer to March and April when Game of Thrones most of those seasons came out. So hopefully it won't be too long of a wait, but yeah, I I, I really would like to see how they continue to portray Rhaenyra and Allison because they're going to be doing the similar things. They're going to be running each side of the family and how their decisions and how they mirror each other. And just you have different characters on each side of the family that are very much similar to the other ones. And then just how they make the choices throughout the realm. Plus, it seems like we're going to get to go back to Winterfell. They're going to show the Starks. So it'll be cool to see some new places like that. That's not a spoiler. I think they've already said that if you've uh, read any of the press clippings and stuff like that. So. It'll just be, the pacing will be interesting too. There won't be any, probably any more time jumps. It'll just be like, how quickly are they going to say, all right, you know, that's something Game of Thrones has done. Other shows like Breaking Bad, where it's like some shows might do a slow burn, whereas these types of shows just hit the gas. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly they hit the gas on some of the real battles and more. Yes, let the dance of the dragons begin. I'm so fucking excited. And I get to watch Game of Thrones, like, in the meantime. I'm in such a good position. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, I think I, I'll probably have watched House of Dragon a couple more times and been through Game of Thrones at least once. And I think I, I did this with the series. I think it got to, was it Series 4? I, I think it might have been Series 4, and I just thought, right, fuck this, I'm going through the books. And actually, the by going through the books, that was what helped you predict what was going to happen in the future. There were some things that were more blatant in the books, like Jon Snow and like the... the in fact, I don't want to spoil it for Jess, but there were certain things that uh, Ned Stark's sister said to him when he, he, was, he was on the milk of the poppy. And this was what I was boring my workmates with uh <laughs> saying i know who john snow is um so <laughs> but anyway so um let's get around to plugs then so brilliant chat i really really enjoyed it i've had to talk to someone after i saw this series especially after that last episode because i had no idea i didn't know this was going on for more series i just thought episode 10 damon's gonna fuck some shit up and then that'll be it we're, we're done with this series and i was like you bastards and now i've got to wait two years fuck you i, think <laughs> so I wish i'd play. been in the room when you'd realized that that was, I was so well, amazing I, uh, it was probably about when I realized it was about 10 minutes from the end. I'm like, there's no way they're going to finish this. 
<laughs> so, yeah, I was gutted. Uh-oh. But, I mean, I'm happy there's going to be another season, but, you know, not happy I have to wait so damn long. But I think we should play a drinking game and just take a shot every time Dave says, fuck shit up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. Well, I've been playing it all night, so... <laughs> But um, so let's come to you first, Jess. And where can people get hold of you? And what have you got to plug? Um, I have a little blog. Um, well, I I call it a community blog because I I'm, I'm looking for people to write for it. It's called Six Hundred Words on Life. Uh, you just type that in all one word .com. Um, it's it's a it's a teeny tiny little blog um, about under the broad umbrella of life. And the idea is that. Anyone who feels like they might enjoy writing or have something to say that they want to say in 600 words and they just want to know what it feels like to share it on with other people via the internet, then you can, you can come to me and we will, um, we will get it on my little community blog because uh, I have run out of things to write about <laughs> apparently. Um, and yeah, but it's not, I just, I wanted a space that was not just my perspective or my view on the world. I wanted a range of views. And so it's a little community blog space. So yeah, I'm on Instagram as well. I can never remember my handle though. So if uh, we could put that at the show notes, I'd be very <laughs> grateful. <laughs> That'd be cool. If you just send them through to me, I shall make sure that gets Thank in there. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Scott, how about yourself? Yeah, uh, not a ton to plug. I would say, you know, please listen to or read Anfield Index. It's where Dave and I met. Uh, we are both fans of Liverpool Football Club. Hasn't been the best season, but we've enjoyed it, and there's a lot of good people on there. Um, I'm going to steal from one of our good friends on there, Justin Wells, something that he likes to plug, which I agree with is times are tough. If you have the ability, donate to your local food pantry. I actually donated just this morning. I donated to food, fan supporting food banks. It's um, uh, a, it's a organiz- or initiative started by supporters of both Liverpool and Everton. Uh, they help get fans to donate to the food banks in Liverpool. So it's a city that's near and dear to my heart. So I would encourage you, wherever you live, if you have an ability to donate to the food pantries, things are going to be tough this winter, both in the States and the UK. Please help your fellow man. Um, I think that's the way to do it. You know, we're all in this one together. So look out for each other. Be careful. Be kind while there's still time. That old thing. And then uh, if you're on Twitter, I'm also on there occasionally. Scott R. Chandler on Twitter. So thanks for listening. Thank you, Scott, because I have taken to signing off all of the podcasts I'm on with also talking about food banks and how people can support the Trussell Trust. Um, eradicating food poverty is something I'm incredibly passionate about. I think it's we are fundamentally failing people uh, due to the fact that they're going hungry. And I think as a society, we should all be absolutely ashamed of ourselves. But more positively, there are things we can do. So we can donate to local food banks. You can either donate food or money. So please go and check out the Trussell Trust. They actually have an emergency fund appeal at the moment. Um, it's going through to March next year. Um, they the, the need for food banks has increased. They've been having their, their busiest August and September and emergency food parcels are short. So please, 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 please go and donate um, and largely think about maybe some of the political decisions you're making and what's happened over the last 12 years, but mostly go and donate to some food banks, please. And also come and find me on Twitter at Rhea Carrigan and Instagram at Rhea Carrigan. There's some exciting stuff happening with Femme on Film, 
which Jess is involved in, which we'll be talking about soon and announcing soon and launching in January. But absolutely, I can't agree with you more, Scott. I'm just repeating the same things that you said. Go <laughs> donate. Go look after yourself. Look after each other. This is this now. The time is now. We've got to look after each other. And we've got to make sure we're all safe and healthy. And please, please just help. Absolutely. Unfortunately, we can't trust those who should have been in a position to make better decisions and help those who need it. But we can look out for those who need it most. And so we can rely upon each other in these times. And that's how we're going to get through these things together until hopefully, you know, the world comes to its senses. Lord knows when that's going to happen. But until then, we have to look out for each other. Absolutely. I don't think I can improve on what you've said there about food banks. Go and donate. We're kind of conditioned by the, the rich, the powerful, the elite to think that poor people are our enemy. It's not. It's the other way. Um, so, you know, and if you're a Tory fucker, fuck off and listen to something <laughs> else. Uh, so, listen to something yeah. else. <laughs> exactly. Jamie Webster. If you're a Tory, <laughs> you're the Greens, just so you know. Yes. <laughs> you're the bad guys. So, so I, I saw a brilliant uh, uh, slogan that I'm trying to, I'm going to try and do it justice. It was something like if you're a Tory, you're either a filthy rich or an idiot. Have a look at your bank <laughs> account and decide which one you are. <laughs> and that brilliantly so sums it up because they, yeah. they are brilliant at, at fooling the public uh, Go on, say it again, a particular Dave. way of thinking fucking shit up that's what they're good at <laughs> we should fuck some shit up I tell you what oh in the last God. few months I have been looking to fuck some shit up <laughs> because, uh, you know sign me up um, just so long as it's not before 10 o'clock uh, yeah. or not after 10 o'clock at night because I'm in bed then <laughs> But no, guys, honestly, it's been brilliant. I've really, really enjoyed it. And like I say, get out there, donate to your food banks. We'll get through this together, but that's the only way we're going to do it as well. So thank you very much, guys. And we'll speak to you next time. And hopefully we don't have to wait two years for it. Cheers. Cheers.